Welcome to this latest in the series of the Hollywell Trust Conversations podcast. Podcasts that consider some of the most challenging problems that we face in our society in Northern Ireland and especially in the northwest of the island. My name is Jared Dean. I work for Hollywell Trust. We're a peace and reconciliation charity based at the heart of the city of Derry, Londonderry. And I'm joined as ever by local journalist Paul Gosling. Paul, how's things? They're grand, Gerard. How are you? Ah, dead on. Hey, dead on. So, Paul, series to date has looked at a wide range of concerns, um, which we include funding of the voluntary sector. We've looked at continuing unwanted role of the paramilitary organisations in society. And today we're looking at one of those uh, peace-focused uh, issues again. And we're asking the question of um, why we still have peace walls or interface barriers more than a quarter of a century after the Good Friday Agreement, which we had all hoped would properly heal our divisions. In fact, there's the executive office strategy, the Together Building a United Community Strategy, and one of its headline actions was that all interface barriers would be removed by this year. So, Paul, can you please explain to me uh, why we still have peace walls? Why are they still here? Uh, the reality, Jared, is that we continue to be blighted by a very divided society. Um, and the physical expression, or a physical expression of that, is the peace walls. Mm. Now, explaining where they are is a lot simpler, actually. And in Derry, we got just the one, which is between the Fountain Estate on the city side and the Bishop Street without. As those of us who live in the city are very aware, the Fountain Estate is Protestant stroke Unionist, and it is the only part on the city side which is now predominantly unionist. But the southern side of the Fountain Estate does not have a peace wall. These are areas which feature terraced housing, much of it in private ownership. And some of that area has become mixed in recent years, with people moving in from other areas, people of other traditions, including ethnic minorities, and probably some Catholics. So the broader Fountain area is becoming more plural. Okay, so that's the really obvious peace barrier infrastructure if you like within the city and on the city side in particular but there's also divisions on the water side uh, indeed uh, and the thing is that because of the river the river foil we never had the number of peace walls in Derry that they had in Belfast what we do have is interfaces on the water side but they're not marked by walls uh, one interface would be the close proximity of Irish Street and top of the hill and another would be where you've got Carineran and uh, which is a Catholic estate and the Protestant Tully Allen estates, which are uh, which are pretty close together, divided by a, a road, basically. Mm, okay, and what's the situation on Belfast, Paul? Well, there are reportedly 20 miles of remaining peace walls across Northern Ireland, and most of those are in Belfast. I guess most people will be aware of the separation between the Falls Road and the Shankle Road, while there has been a lot of publicity around the tensions in the Short Strand area of East Belfast. And during the street disturbances over the Northern Ireland Protocol, there were riots at Springfield Road by its barricades, which were actually televised. Now, murdered journalist Lyra McKee famously pointed out that after the Good Friday Agreement, more, pools, more peace walls went up than came down. OK, and it, but it's not just about peace walls, Paul. That, that's what you're driving at here. It's about divided societies with divisions existing that are not necessarily always marked out by peace walls. And I think this is particularly true in rural communities, but within cities as well. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, w I was in Belfast a few months ago at the point where Sandy Row intersects with Shaftesbury Place and the Crescent. And I was struck by just how close the loyalist banners on the end of Sandy Row were to the an, an Irish language bar and an Eastern European cafe just around the corner. 
Now, when I first visited Belfast back in the 1980s, I was warned very severely to always be aware of whose territory I was in. Now, I was talking to a police inspector a couple of years ago about this, who said that in some respects, it's even worse today, as territories are not only not marked and obvious, but also may shift in a matter of days. Okay, but getting back there, Paul, he still haven't really answered the question about why the barriers or the interfaces are still there. Put simply, we have not healed our divisions, and some of those divisions have actually got worse in the meantime. Okay, can you go into a wee bit of detail on that, Paul? <laughs> yeah, um, so the birth rate in Protestant communities is lower than amongst Catholics, even today. Now, there's probably a different attitude to birth control amongst uh, the Catholic community now than there was in the past. But the Protestant population is older than the Catholic population. What that means is there's fewer Protestants that are of childbearing age, of parenting age. So inevitably, the Protestant birth rate is not going to match that of the Catholic birth rate. Now, this demographic change tends to mean that housing pressures in Catholic areas are greater than those in Protestant areas. So it can mean there are empty homes in what would traditionally be regarded as Protestant areas compared to overcrowding in Catholic areas. That creates social tensions and pressure to shift traditional dividing lines. In addition, we have many more mixed religion families and families with no religion. And of course, more ethnic minorities who find empty properties in traditionally Protestant areas, leading to greater diversity that's not always welcomed. In fact, the entire population growth in Belfast over the last two decades can be explained by the arrival of new ethnic minority communities. What we see is a watering down of that traditional cultural character of some areas, with some residents, including some with paramilitary connections, trying to preserve the long-standing monocultures. Okay, and um, we shouldn't ignore behavioural issues either, Paul? No, uh, we have to face up to that and, and recognise it. Uh, people living at interface areas are not always good neighbours. Unfortunately, we've seen this at the Bishop Street Fountain area in Derry. But the, there are projects on the ground in Belfast and, and Derry, that, and, but especially here in Derry, that are making a difference. Yeah, um, both on the city side and on the water side. Now, I spoke with Cara Reynolds, who's the development worker at the Peace Barriers Programme, which is funded by the International Fund for Ireland, which is bringing communities together at the Fountain and Bishop Street interface. Dead on. So let's listen to Cara about her project now. I am a development worker with the Bogside and Brandywell Initiative. Um, I'm funded by the International Fund for Ireland to build confidence across the Bishop Street Fountain interface in Derry. Um, so it's trying to bring that minority um, Protestant unionist loyalist community together with the majority nationalist community. It's, it's not easy, especially when they're physically separated by, um, you know, bricks and mortar. And of course, there is the gate on Bishopsgate uh, on Bishop Street that was uh, opened up uh, at least for more hours. H has that changed things at all? Yeah, um, we were actually um, heavily involved in getting that gate open um, after forty years. Um, I think it was twenty nineteen that it opened. You know, um, people do use it um, for ease of access to the city centre. Um, what I would say is that the dogleg structure that conceals movement of people from the fountain onto um, Bishop Street and the city centre side um, means that, yes, people are using it, people are going through it, but there's still that, well, at least we still can't be seen. Um, and that's kind of just 
you know, for me, with that structure in place, it's kind of just reinforcing those fears and the need to not be seen by the other side. Now, in a sense, you've got the other side of the Fountain Estate, which you don't have that same sense of a peace wall. And also you've got a sense of what might be regarded as eroding the traditional identity of the fountain because you've got different populations moving into some of those areas that are close to the fountain. How does that affect things? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the first thing you kind of see when you go um, into the fountain is that um, infamous um, West Bank loyalists under siege mural. Um, that siege mentality still exists um, because of the architecture that keeps that estate enclosed. Um, as you say, you know, on the other side of the fountain, away from the Peace Wall, there are other routes into the fountain that are not closed off. Um, but it's really strange that, you know, nobody ever seems to mention them. And yet the um, sort of the PUL or Protestant loyalist um, narrative on the peace wall would be that it's a security wall. But in reality, there are other entrances to the fountain. So it just shows you kind of the, the mental barriers um, as well as the physical. So you kind of have to work to build confidence in people coming together regardless of whether this physical brick wall comes down and the fountain is witnessing as most areas are um the influx of immigrants so um black and minority ethnic communities are moving in and unfortunately sort of the legacy of suspicion of other um as people define each other here um means that they're not always particularly welcome um, now, that's not always the case. Um, obviously, you have a minority of people that tend to cause the issues, um, but there definitely is that change as well. And we are very conscious that when we're trying to bring people together from across this physical interface, it's not just orange and green anymore. Um, you know, it is these new incoming communities that need to be integrated because in Northern Ireland, um, difference has always been held as something to be suspicious of. Um, and we need to try and change that. And uh, a question for my own interest, really, I suppose. Do you, you have in the areas without the wall, this influx of people from different backgrounds. Presumably you don't have that close to the wall. So is actually the function of the wall more about separating where people live rather than separating the communities from each other? Um, I actually would disagree with that. I don't think, um, you know, there's a particular influx of newcomers. Well, not when it comes to BME on, you know, the side closest to the wall or the side furthest away from the wall. What you do notice, however, is that, um, as you said in your previous question, there is that sort of fear of erosion of identity in terms of gentrification or redevelopment of particular buildings. Um, for example, the Abercorn Road factory was redeveloped um, into um, quite, you know, sort of upmarket flats and things. And there was concern amongst the fountain that that was going to erode identity and it was going to um, kind of 
um, you know, change the way the place looked. It didn't change the way it looked, but certainly it was going to bring in, you know, sort of um, business people, um, private tenants, and there was concern about that. Um, but now that that project has been done, actually, the residents don't have any complaints about it anymore. But the process, as I say, was a wee bit difficult because they did um, see that as a bit suspicious and a bit threatening. And, and of course, I think it's important to stress that when we talk about different communities coming in, we're not necessarily talking about from BME communities. We're talking about people that will include backgrounds of no religion or in some cases even of Catholic religion in areas that come off the fountain, uh, the main fountain estate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there there has always been you know some sort of catholic or no religion people in there i mean i think it's just people use the stereotypes it's not all um you know protestant on the fountain side and catholic on the national side or the bishop street side um and i think sometimes people forget that there's a lot of people in there that keep a low profile and they are not you know they don't fit into them boxes um, the fountain, I think, as well, that identity thing is being challenged by the fact that um, it's an aging population. Um, so uh, I think there's a fear there that, you know, the young people will leave the area and um, that the sense of community will be lost. Um, I think there's an element of that as well. So what work have you been doing and, and what have you achieved through it? So we do a wide variety of things. Um, sometimes you have to be creative and a wee bit mad to come up with things that will bring people together. But you always find that a good starting point is identifying something that they all have in common. So I'll give you an example. We um, started in 2021, we started a Henshed Women Group. And you find that women are really good at identifying what they have in common. Um, so we've got over kind of 170 women approximately in that wee group and they are from the nationalist and the Protestant uh, community and they uh, come together and do everything from chat about what it's like to um, be widowed, what it's like to have children. Um, you know, they have these dialogues over, you know, sort of safe activities, be it arts and crafts, physical activity. And then we kind of move them along gradually and at their own pace towards more difficult conversations. And that includes things like working with the Playhouse to run out uh, theatre of witness workshops. And that might be where they go and they listen to the stories of ex-combatants, ex-soldiers, um, you know, ex-police, um, ex-IRA members. And they start to recognise um, through those stories that the people that were the enemy as such um, are human. And sometimes they find that quite unbelievable. And, um, you know, they begin to identify that they can see why these people went into situations that they did. You know, an example being that a lot of the um, soldiers that were deployed to Northern Ireland were um, young men with no other opportunities. Um, you know, they kind of see the reasons behind it other than the narrative that was presented to them. Um, you know, we've done some really hard hitting stuff. Like we had a group of women um, write their own short play called This Is Us. And it was facilitated by the brilliant um, poet and playwright Anne McMaster. And um, there's an exhibition up on the Peace Wall um, of dialogue sessions that were facilitated by her. Um, and it's simple, very simple 
quotes from women about what it was like to be a child growing up in the troubles um, and the innocence of some of the statements. Um, for example, you have um, one lady that quoted, uh, she remembers when there was an unexploded um, bomb or mortar or something in her school and they got moved to a different school and she just adds in this very simple, very innocent line of, I remember eating the Play-Doh. And you know, being a child during that time and the innocence of it, it, it almost it almost breaks your heart, but it makes you realize that, you know, kids are kids. It doesn't matter what community they're from. And through our work with the Henshed and um, different groups, we just try to get them to recognize that they actually have more in common than they do that divides them. And what's the engagement level been like? Engagement level is um, extremely good on um, the sort of softer stuff. The Henshed has helped us um, gain uh, momentum um, in maximizing the number of people engaged. I would say that we kind of developed the Henshed as a result of having, as is common to peace building programs, the usual suspects in a sense. So you get this group that engage on a cross community level and it's just that group. And it remains that group for a long time. And then you come to realize, hold on a wee minute. These are the kind of what I call the already converted. Um, so bringing them together on that soft stuff um, can be a good way to bring people in. And it is surprising, um, you know, maybe I was a wee bit skeptical to begin with that they would move towards the difficult conversations and the peace building stuff. But you actually find that it's, you know, there's so many stories harbored inside people in these interface areas. And when they develop trust of other people, the way that they kind of open up or find a release of telling that story in a safe space. Um, so that's working very well. Um, but as I say, you know, we face the difficulties of having the same people all the time and you have to change it up a wee bit to make people feel comfortable. Now, of course, the concept of bringing women together from the two sides of the peace wall and recognizing similarities in their lives is something that's worked in Belfast as well. So what do you see as the parallels and what do you see as the differences in terms of the peace walls between Belfast and Derry? I think the um, par well, the parallels are the fact that the same methods kind of work on a broad sense. Um, you know, the differences for me would be that in Belfast, it's much more of sort of a patchwork of um, communities. You know, there's a lot of um, like little enclaves of either PUL or Catholic um, nationalist communities um, throughout the city. Whereas in Derry, it's very much kind of waterside, city side. Um, and then you have the little kind of stronghold in the fountain, you know, trying to hold on to um, PUL representation. Um, on the other side of the foil, um, I'd say that's a key difference because there is that small community of about 300 residents um, feeling like they are dependent upon for upholding that identity on the other side of the foil. And I'd say that's definitely a big difference um, to Belfast. In Belfast, you would have um, much more of a patchwork. Now, you've personally looked at the uh, issue of conflict zones internationally, haven't you? Uh, so what do you think we can learn from other places around the world? 
Uh, yeah, well, funny, I done my PhD in uh, Israel-Palestine. Um, and, you know, I am always hesitant of saying that there are similarities, but, you know, there are similarities in the sense that um, the same language is used in the sense that to Israelis, the West Bank um, separation um, barrier is a security fence um, to uh, Palestinians. It's an apartheid wall, you know, so you can see kind of the similar narratives being used um, and just, you know, the everyday sense of division that people are having to travel extensive distances. But, you know, I would say that <laughs> It sounds, it sounds very simple, but, you know, in Northern Ireland, we have this thing that there's not an obvious outward physical difference between people, um, whereas in the Israel-Palestine context, um, there is. You can easily identify um, who's who. Um, there's a significant power dynamic um, in the Middle East case, rather, you know, in Northern Ireland, it's not quite so bad in terms of power relations so you can learn um an example would be that i was looking at how environmental programs can bring people together and and it has done in the bethlehem um area um and you know coming here you know that's why i kind of do try and identify issues of common concern because you need something that both have something to gain out of, you know, all all sides, all people have something to gain out of working together. Okay, thanks to Kara for that. And I think that um, international perspective is very important. We shouldn't forget that other places, Paul, have similar challenges to ourselves. Uh, that's very true, Gerard. And as we said earlier, it's not just about the walls. It is about how we bring neighbouring communities together, which are facing much the same challenges in life, but are separated by history, culture, and tradition. That's very much the focus of the Waterside Neighbourhood Partnership, and I asked its strategy manager, Alison Wallace, about their programmes of cross-community engagement. She explains here the positive progress achieved at the Waterside Shared Village and how this gives us hope for the future and an example of how we can address the social divisions evident at interfaces. But, as you will hear, she also stresses that progress is not quick, it involves sustained commitment over a long period of time, 15 years in the case of the Waterside Shared Village. For, for people who are listening to this who don't really understand the interfaces on the Waterside, can you talk through where those are and what type of relationships exist between communities in those areas? Certainly. Uh, well, there's two interface areas here in the Waterside, um, Irish Street on top of the hill and uh, Tully Alley and Curry Nairn. Um, both those interface areas are kind of, I would say, different and are different stages in terms of relationship building. Irish Street on top of the hill are, there's a lot of, there's great community uh capacity there so there is and the relationships um across that interface they've done a lot of work in terms of of of, of building those relationships over the last 10 years and they're in a much more advanced kind of place than from where Tully Alley and Curry Nairn have. The community infrastructure in Tully Alley and Curry Nairn wouldn't be at the same level and they haven't been able to do the relationship building in the same way as Irish Street and Top of the Hill. Um, Irish Street and Top of the Hill has had a significant uh, bit of capital funding in terms of the shared village, which is on the old Clondermott School site, which sits right on the interface. And that has made a significant difference here in the water and uh, on that particular interface. 
And is that connected to the physicality? Because obviously Carinier and Taliali, they are physically separated by the by the nature of the places. Taliali and Carinier are they sit their two social housing areas side by side. There's like a main road really <laughs> that um, separates them, and it's same for Top of the Hill and Irish Street. They're just uh, separated by roadway really. There's no like walls or anything like that there. So there is. So there isn't. So it, it's it's not really you think about the physical separation. It's actually about no. programs for a, a community engagement over an extended period of time. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's it's that uh, community um, separation rather than actual physical walls and that relationship building um, that hasn't happened um, because of the troubles and because of um, the community relations in both of those areas over a long period of time during the troubles. That is really is what separates them. And also there hasn't been um, a lot of work put on, especially in Tully Alley and Carinian in terms of promoting that kind of um, movement of people between the two areas. And, and what do you think has been done well, Irish Street and Top of the Hill? The relationship building um, at a community organisational level. First of all, community workers um, have really sat down and got to know each other and worked and built up really strong working relationships. And then we have then looked at how we build relationships with between residents then. So we have, and we, there's been a lot, a lot of work done and um, in terms of the best way of doing that. And that has been very much led by the community workers in that area. So, so it has, I think that is what has worked really well on top of the Hull Irish Street. You know, a willingness to do this type of work and, you know, stand up and be counted in terms of all this work, because a lot of this work is is really difficult and you can get criticised for doing this this type of work. But um, in terms of Tolly Alley or in terms of Irish Street and Top of the Hill, the community workers and uh, residents within those areas have been willing to do that work. Could you talk us through some of those projects that have worked well? Certainly. Well, the most significant, obviously, is the Shared Village project that um had a capital element to it and a programming element to it. So the shared village was a major capital um, investment um, in, in the old Clondermott school site that sits right on the um, interface of Irish Street on top of the hill. And that project has been was in the development stage for oh, since Clondermott went um, maybe 15 years ago. So that has been a long process. And during that process, there's been a lot of work done in terms of programming to um, increase the movement of people between Irish Street and top of the hill and the um, promote dialogue in those areas as well. So those types of things have worked really, really well. I and that engagement at community worker level has worked really well as well. I think a lot of people still won't be quite aware about the details of the shared village. So could you explain those a bit? Well, the shared village, as I say, as a capital was a capital project. So on the old Clondermott School site now, um, that's a seven and a half million pound project funded by SEUPB, um, Derry City Instrument District Council were the lead partners um, with the community represented as a part as you know became part of that partnership. So sitting up on the shared the shared village um, now has as um, sports facilities, but there is also a community hub there. Um, the two communities manage the community hub for cross community and shared shared programming, and then the sports side of things is managed by Derry City Instrument District Council. Um, the programming side of that, there's a range of things. Um, one of the main 
things and one of the things that works really well has been the summer schemes um that has has been running recently there there was 250 young people um up at a summer scheme on a cross community basis it was amazing they say so it was, it was fantastic and presumably both communities came together to plan the future of the project they do they do there was like a steering group and they meet on a regular basis um they manage and uh the, the community the community hub and they come up with programming and they ensure the sustainability of the hub past the um peace for funding and what was the, the membership like I, I mean how many people were on the steering group what were the representations well, that was 50-50. That, that was made up of community rep. The We Steering Group was made up of community reps and residents in the area. Uh, so it was and is. Okay. And and how many people in that community group, uh, steering group? Um, I would say there's about 15 people, I would say. So it's quite a large group grouping of people then. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think the relationships are, have got to a point now where where it is, it, it really is a good model of working. Um, and that has took a long time to get to that, but it's in a really good place now. So so there was, uh, and they don't just deliver the shared village, obviously. Like recently there was a wee bit of sectarian graffiti went up here on the interface and the community reps were out straight away and had that painted off you know you know they they're very proactive and it sounds as if you're positive about things improving over uh, an ongoing basis most certainly um and i was shooting top of the hill as i said the interface has been transformed so it has of where it was maybe 10 years ago there isn't the level of violence that there would have been um there's very little in terms of that you know there would still be the odd thing of course but because of the community capacity um it's 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 able to be dealt with quickly and, and what lessons do you think could be drawn from that for other places it's just about building relationship over a period of time. Tully Alley and Curry Nairn are in a different place. Um, obviously, th things can still be difficult um, down in Tully Alley and Curry Nairn. But I think it's it's down to um, the, the community, the capacity of the community organisations there. Um, they haven't maybe um, the same level of funding or the same um, expertise, I suppose. Um, but they are being supported now and, and they are moving towards that. They have came together most recently. They put on a significant, along again with council, um, they put on a significant bid to, um, to Peace Plus for a shared uh, spaces project. Okay, so thanks to Alison. Um, that's a really positive way to finish the podcast. And thanks also to Kara for her really informative contribution. Um, this is a very important discussion and goes to the heart of what we're all still struggling to achieve and what is really a continuing peace building process. So as ever, um, all past Hollywell Conversations podcasts can be listened to through our website. We thank our funders, Northern Ireland Community Relations Council for supporting this series. And thanks must go as well to Paul for doing all the hard work on this, as well as Michael who edits our programs. All right, so we'll talk to you again soon.